0: I'm going to say, oh, this is the, you know, this is the cutest baby ever. I'm just going to say she's definitely in the top three, okay? There you go. It is, it's good to be back. Thanks for everyone who has uh, provided meals and stuff like that. I want to let you know I have been sleeping like a baby. I haven't had a problem at all. I just, I asked Kit, look, if you could keep it down a little bit and I can sleep just fine. Kid hadn't been sleeping so great, but thanks for all, all of your help uh, providing for us. Uh, this morning, I want to take a look at a, a scripture that's probably pretty familiar to us from Matthew. Um, before I do that, let's go ahead and, and, and just pray. God, uh, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the opportunity to be in church and to be with other people that um, that want to, to hear from you, that are desperate um, to see you move and to see you speak. And we pray that you would do that this morning. We pray that uh, you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear uh, the revelation, the, the word, the the thing that you have for us this morning. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. So the, the reading is uh, from Matthew 5, 13 through 16. The career people will appreciate this. This was our discussion a couple weeks ago, and I've been thinking about it since, and I've, I, I really got into a study of uh, this, this little passage where Jesus is talking about the salt and the light that we are as followers, and it falls right at the, uh, it's at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. And this is, just to set the context for it, Jesus is continuing the message, the message of Jesus, which is the free availability of the kingdom of God, of the rulership and the reign of God in your life. It is now at hand. This is the message of Jesus. As he goes around and he preaches and he says, the kingdom of God is at hand. Here it is, the message of Jesus. And he would demonstrate it with power, and he, would, and he would elaborate on it. And the Sermon on the Mount is no different. This is part and parcel of the message of Jesus, of the grace, of the idea that God, out of no merit of our own, has poured himself out for us to bring us to this place of to be able to receive his rulership and reign in our lives. And he has just finished the beginning of the sermon where he's talking about blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the mourners, the meek, and all the different people. But I want to point out that that I believe when Jesus is speaking this, he is talking to the people that are there. It's not like he's got just his, you know, close buddies. This is the Sermon on the Mount where there are multitudes. There are crowds of people. They're described as being disciples. So there are people that are following him that want to, to listen to his teaching. They want to respond to his teaching. But what he is saying is, blessed are you. Blessed are you, the poor in spirit. Blessed are you, the mourners, the meek, those of you who are of hungered and thirsted for righteousness, blessed are you. Why? Because it's part of the message of God that the kingdom of God is at hand. Blessed are you because here it comes. Blessed are you because of this word that Christ brings. People just like us. And then he says this. You are the salt of the earth. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. So he says this, and the language is very specific. Um... The emphasis in the, in the original text is on the you and the. When he talks about you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. And the idea being that he's saying you are these things. And it's, and it's more than that. It's not just that you're salt. You are the salt of the earth. There's other salt, but it's not as salty as you. It doesn't bring the same flavor. It doesn't do the same thing. You are the salt. You are the light of the world. And this is not delivered to the super spirituals. This isn't delivered to the Pharisees and to the people who represented religion at the day. Even the disciples, even the 12 disciples, what are we talking about? Fishermen. The guy who's recording this was a tax collector, all right? And Jesus is saying, look, you, Matthew, you, ordinary people, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Dallas Willard makes the point when he says, it is ordinary people who are the salt and the light of the world as they live the blessed life in the kingdom. Tying it back to to where he started with, as you live in the blessedness that, that Christ brings through the rulership and reign of God, you become these things. You are the salt. Why? through the message of the kingdom, through what God is doing. So what does it mean? What does it mean to be salt? Because we had very good discussion in our career group about the chemical composition of salt and uh, all those kind of things. But it's it's important to think about, like, what were they hearing when he said that? And I think it's clear, especially as we look at other places where salt was mentioned in, in the New Testament, that salt is, is something that adds flavor. It's something that's added added to, to bring it's something distinctively different, whether it's a preservative or whether it's to add flavor. It's something good. It's something positive that's being added to. Um, Paul, at one point, talks about let your, let your conversations be seasoned with salt. The idea that um, as we talk, in, in the words that we use, that there would be, they would be sprinkled with flavoring that would be attractive to, to, to people. And Paul goes on to say, so that then they will ask you questions. Peter makes the point of they're going to ask you questions about the hope that you have. This idea that as we speak, it's going to be something that people uh, receive well and that they want to ask questions. Hey, tell me about this hope that you have. Tell me about this thing that's different about who you are. But what's important, I think, to, to begin with is that salt is something that is, is added to. It, it doesn't exist for itself. Salt doesn't make sense outside of food. Like You add salt to your food. It has a purpose, and that purpose is to, to flavor, to change, to bring something distinctively different. But it's not good by itself. Nobody's ever sat down and said, I'll have some salt, right? You say, hey, when I go to Outback, all right, when I go to Outback, I put salt on everything. I love salt, okay? Just so you know, like my wife, I know, other people are cringing, like I'm a heart attack waiting. To, if I preach, I talk about Taco Bell, Outback. And salt. Okay. So yes, yes, I'm a health food fanatic. So I put salt. Kid gets mad because I put salt before I even taste it. I just know I'm gonna want more salt on it. So I sit down at Outback and imagine I get myself a big fat Outback special. And imagine that my salt shaker is sitting right there next to my steak. I could, I could, I could move the shaker right up to the plate, but it doesn't do anything. It doesn't add any flavor, it doesn't do anything until I pour it out. Until I begin to mix that salt in. With my outback steak. (laughs) Did I go too far in this analogy? (laughs) Jesus is making the point you are the salt of the earth. You are something that adds flavor to the earth. You are not to be kept in a salt shaker. You're something that shouldn't overpower. I also don't take and unscrew the top of my salt and dump it on my, (laughs) would you like some steak with your salt? You know, I don't do that. It's something that adds, it's it's something that's a little bit different. But it exists for food. Salt by itself is worthless. When we think about the fuel service that's coming up, that's what's so exciting. People are like, well, why are we going to go meet in a questionable area of town, um, potentially with questionable people? Um, well, the bottom line is we want to be salt. We want to be light in darkness. Where are you going to go? you got to go out. You've got to go out in somewhere that you can be salt, where there's a difference, where there's something different about what we're offering, that we can be salt in, in earth. And so when you think about the fuel service and why we're doing it, Think about Paul saying, I have become all things to all men, so that by all possible means I might save some. In other words, man, I'm going to get out there. I am going to get out there. I'm going to become all things to all people. If You know what? If everybody's reading this thing and everybody's talking about this thing, and everybody, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go find out what it is. Why? So I can be relatable. So I can be, I hate to use the word normal, but so I can be normal. So they can relate to me. So that they can engage with me. We need to be normal. We need to be relatable. I love in the life course. The life course is awesome because we bring in people. You, we, it's a whole thing is designed for people that aren't Christian, that are questioning Christianity in general. And so you'll have a Buddhist or a Muslim or an atheist or whatever, and I remember I had this Buddhist in my, uh, in my group. And the Christians, some of the Christians couldn't relate because they couldn't, they couldn't make the words understandable to somebody who doesn't have the same context of faith. They couldn't help but quote Scripture. They couldn't help but bring in. And, and so the, the Buddhist is like, you know what? What does that mean to me? Why, why are you quoting Romans? What does that even mean? I'm not Roman. I'm not from Rome. Never been there. What does that mean to me? Scripture's awesome. Scripture contains the truths of Christ. It's the authority. It's, it's the thing that we need to go to to understand everything about God. But we need to be salt. We need to be able to turn that into something that people can understand. We need to make it something that they can consume, that they can, that's normal enough for them to relate to. We can't be so super spiritual that we lose the ability to engage the earth, to be salt. Does that make sense? Can can you think of people that you know that are so entirely super spiritual that they cannot relate to somebody that's not? We can't afford to do that. If we are salt, if we become who Christ says we are, then we are salt. We are something that adds flavor to the earth. But we are in the earth adding flavor. So we need to be normal, which means we need to be authentic to a certain. We need to be who we are. Jesus is saying you are salt. You are light. Be that. Be that. Because if you cease being that, you've lost your saltiness. If Tom loses his tomliness he is no longer tom see what i mean if salt loses it salt is denying who it is it is design defying identity of who you are you are salt go out there and do it be authentic don't try to be something that you're not get out there actually engage the world in a way that you can be authentic and still relate to them and still be seasoning be a tad different um but not not so different that you can't relate. I was thinking about examples in my own life of just um, people that, that, that aren't authentic, you know? And I was thinking, like, in college, one of my buddies is here from college. And I remember, in, like, in college, you'd always have the one guy that, you know, usually about 3 in the morning after lots of drinking, they just decide to go all religion on you. You know what I'm talking about? This is the guy who does anything and everything with you. I wasn't a Christian in college, so... Like, he'll go out and do everything and everything with you, but somehow the conversation gets to God, and all of a sudden he starts espousing, you know, these great truths, and he changes his language and his tone, and all of a sudden he's telling you the truths of God. Dude, seriously? Like, I know you. Like, we were hanging out, like, just 20 minutes ago. How, how, how is this you? You're not being authentic. That's not salt. You're not adding flavor. You're denying who you are. We need to be authentic, and that's one of the things I love about our church is the idea that, hey, we're going to try to be real, all right? Any way that we can, any way that we can promote people being who they are, that's what we want to do at the church. We want people to be who they are because if they can understand who Christ sees them as, they become the salt and the light that we're talking about. Okay, and we cannot imitate. By being authentic, we can't imitate. That means that we shouldn't, hey, they're doing this certain thing, so I'm going to pretend yeah, that's me too, right? Because tofu is an imitation, all right? People, where's Blair? Is Blair here? <laughs> I'm going to offend her. Um, all right, and yeah, you know the guy that, that loves, like, the tofu stuff, and they're trying to convince you that it's just as good as meat, and you're like, you've got a big fat hamburger, and they're like, oh, look at my tofu burger. It looks just like yours. But it's tofu, man. It's an imitation. Don't be tofu. <laughs> Don't be, that's. That you can summarize Jesus' message right there. Don't be tofu. Be salt. He's saying be distinctively different. Don't, don't, don't imitate. Don't imitate. Be, be who you are. Because when you are tofu, it is painful. All right. I have, I have a clip I'd like to show. I'm not proud of it. But let's go ahead and show it. There are many ways to celebrate your relationship with God. Unfortunately, this performance from the way. Is one of them. The renewal is the key to the power that we need. The world is going to see that it's Christ me. This is God. Uh, hey, the way, thank you for that, but, you know, could you stop it doing that forever? I'll, look, I'll, I'll invent a unicorn for you or something. You just name it and I'll make it for you. But, uh, look, just stop that. Thanks. Big fan of the soup. I saw that last week and I was like, ooh, that, you just kind of cringe, right? Because you can almost hear the conversation. You know, hey, the young folk, they're into that breakdancing stuff. You know, let's get a little breakdancing going in our worship service. You know, be authentic. Don't, don't try to imitate. Do you remember like the early 90s? There was, there was like all the, the, um, the, the cool bands, and then there were the Christian alternatives to those bands. Oh, you like you too? You need to go buy the Delirious album. Or you like this band? You need to go buy this band. Like is that the best that we can do? Is to try and imitate? No, we're not tofu. There you go. You can take that. We need to be. We need to be normal in that we're relatable, but we need to be distinctive. We need to be distinctively different. And if you think about salt, it is distinctive. It is. It is something that is different than uh than the steak. Otherwise, you wouldn't add it. I wouldn't add more Outback steak to my Outback steak. I wouldn't add more salt to my salt. So the idea of being a tad bit different is the idea of being seasoning. And so you could say, well, Tom, that doesn't make any sense because you just said we need to be normal. Like we need, to, we need to blend in. We need to be, you know, with them and all this kind of stuff. How can I be distinctive and at the same time? Well, I think there are ways that we can be normal and be distinctive. And so I was thinking about if I sit down at the Outback and I see my steak and I see my salt shaker, totally normal. But if I sit down at my Outback and there is a, a, a green jar uh, with a, a fuzzy ball hanging from it, and a straw, a swirly straw coming like that 's not normal i 'm not going to put that on my food i 'm not going to touch that thing. We need to be normal and distinctively different. just a tad different and if you think about what does that really mean? okay, what do you mean? A tad different? think about the words that we use. think about the way that we treat people. there is something distinctively different about the way that we operate, the way that we go. The more that we see ourselves the way that Christ sees us, we change. Something about us is different, and it's distinctively different to the point where Peter says they're going to ask you about the hope that you have. They're going to see something that's hopeful. They're going to see something that's different. So the stock market takes a crap during the week, and somehow you're (laughs) That's the most illustrative way I could think of to say it. And somehow you still have hope. And somehow you are not, you know, hanging your head low, and and somehow you know, you know what, my life isn't wrapped up in that. You know, I have a hope in me that's Christ, and people see that, and they're like, man, there is something distinctively different about you. Let me ask a question that's so much different than traditional evangelism of here. Let me give you a book on hell, right? Let me tell you about this place you do not want to go, right? This is a much different form of evangelism of people actually being attracted to you because of the seasoning that you bring and they're asking you questions about the hope. This is the idea that Jesus, I think, is getting at. And he goes on, Sermon on the Mount, to talk about things like loving our enemies, forgiving those who have offended us, offering grace to anyone, offering grace to anyone who doesn't deserve it because we didn't deserve it. These are things that are distinctively different and they will change people's perception. They will will ask the question, like, man, You're different. There's some seasoning that you bring to this that's different than what what you're used to. If you think about us, I was trying to think of different examples. And and, and you think about your coworkers, and you got that guy who, like, took your idea and brought it to your boss and pretended like it was his own and whatever. He wants that promotion and whatever. This guy's a major putz. And you decide, you know what? I'm salt, man. I'm light. I'm going to love this guy. I'm going to love him anyways. People are going to pick up on that and the way that you treat him, on the way that you talk about him. When you say, you know what, yeah, yeah, that that idea was really mine, but he's going to do a great job with it. I've worked with him in the past. He's a good guy. Something like that. It's different. It's to the point where Jesus talks about persecution. You know what? Persecution will come. (laughs) Persecution will come from some people because they can't handle that type of grace. They can't handle that type of seasoning. But some people, the response is going to be like, That's that's challenging to them. How can you treat me that way after I've done this thing to you? Okay, so we need to be seasoning. We need to be distinctive. But we need to see ourselves. How do we do that? It's not something that we do on our own. This whole idea, uh, the whole Sermon on the Mount is built around the idea that there is a righteousness that cannot be attained on our own. It is a righteousness that comes by faith in Christ. It is God who does the work that brings us this righteousness. It is God who makes us salt and makes us light. In fact, God makes us so much. If we could just see ourselves the way that Christ sees ourselves, then we would become this great, magnificent thing. When, when you read the Bible, you know, you hear, people, oh, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. You know, like they're, they're, they're putting themselves down. This isn't the picture that's painted in Scripture scripture paints the picture of us being a royal priesthood scripture talks about us being saints image bearers that we actually not only do we bear resemblance to god but there's a piece of the divine in all of us that we receive the holy spirit when we become christians we become temples of the holy spirit christ is in me the hope of glory he's present in me we've been given authority over the earth jesus says whatever we bind on earth will be bound in heaven get your arms around that one Think about that. Hey, and, oh, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. We need to get beyond that because that's not the picture that's painted in Scripture. We are we are agents of God's change on the earth. We are uh, co-laborers with God. What does that even mean? We work beside God. We're not just servants. We don't just follow him. We are co-laborers. We work alongside of him. Bill Johnson makes the point that we've been, when we receive the Spirit of God, we lose the privilege of claiming, I'm only human about that for a second when you receive the spirit of god you can't just say, oh i'm only human well you're not you participate in the divine nature scripture says the holy spirit indwells you you are no longer uh, just human not in a sci-fi type way though that's kind of cool but you <laughs> see what i'm getting at paul at one point rebukes the church in corinth in 1 Corinthians 3, he says, you guys are acting like mere men. You guys are acting like you're, you're just like everyone else. You're acting like you're just men. You are not. You are image bearers with gods. You are, you are saints. You are a royal priesthood. So what does that mean? As we think about this, this, this flip-flop, of how we attain the righteousness that is talked about in Scripture. The righteousness comes from seeing ourselves as righteous in Christ. He's already done it for us. Now it's just a matter of living it out. It's a matter of living up to what we've already attained, Paul at one point says. If we could just see ourselves that way, we act that way. He goes on to say, you are the light of the world. And goes through, um, a city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. And this is important because I think this is making that point that all we owe, all that we are, we owe to God, period. Everything that we are, we owe to God. It is only by faith that that we're able to attain any of this, by his grace. And when we see ourselves that way, we reflect him better. And everyone around us sees him through us. We bring this idea, this this message of reconciliation, Paul talks about it at one point, this message of friendship, that we go out and we're Christ's ambassadors. We go out and we get to tell people in the way that we act, in something about the way that we operate, it's distinctively different to the point where people see in us God. They see God moving. Their response is not, wow, Tom is awesome. Their response is, wow, God is awesome. They see God moving. And the city on a hill, the idea of you can't be hidden, (laughs) whether it's a warning or an encouragement, the idea is the same, that you cannot hide. It's going to be visible. They're going to see the way that you treat people, the way that you talk, the way that you act, these things. So what's going to be different? What's going to make them praise their Heavenly Father? The good works that they talk about, you know, like it's funny when you talk about good works. It almost always goes to what we don't do. You notice that? Christians are like, well, well, you know, what's the uh, good works people are going to see? Well, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't drink, I don't smoke, I don't, I don't cuss, I don't do this, I don't do that. Well, what do you do? What do you do? It Sounds like an Adamant song. What, what is it that you do if you're not doing these different things? What is it that you do that people see and they praise God because you know what? When you say I don't drink because I am a Christian. People don't go, praise Jesus. I am in the presence of the divine. That's not the natural response. You know what I mean? But there is something about the kind of good works that we do that make people go, man, God is awesome. This guy has hope, and he lost everything this week in the market. This God is awesome. God is providing in a way that's it, it's unbelievable. God has shown up. Surely there's, there is a God. These are the type of responses that we think about when we, when we read about uh, the way they respond. And Jesus goes on to talk about when, when all of the different good deeds, the good works that he refers to, it's more of the kind of what those works are, that they're humble, that they're merciful, that they're loving. It is the distinctive characteristic of the Christian, right, that we, we, we have love. That's the one thing that's, that Jesus talks about differentiating us when he says they will know that they are my followers because of their love. So when you talk about the salt and you talk about the light and it, oh, it gets too confusing and it's too much, it's, you can go back to simply this. Jesus says you're going to know by your love It's something about the way that you love. Love without expecting in return. Loving the person that hates you. Loving in in a humble way, loving in a way that represents God, loving in a gracious way, undeserved the way that that your love from God has been received. These are the type of things that is salt and light. And if we can see ourselves that, the bottom line, if we can see ourselves the way that Jesus sees us, then we don't believe the lies that have been spoken over us. We don't believe the lies that we're just ordinary people, that God can't work through us. We don't believe that. We, We begin to see ourselves as salt and light. And if we, if we see ourselves that way and we act that way, people will respond. They'll ask questions about the hope that we have, and they will praise God for the love that they receive from God through us. This is the message for this morning. And, and you know what it is the message of church. Church should be a place where we get together and we learn more about who we are in Christ so that we can go out and live it out during the week, so that we can go out and continue to, to, to be that salt and light, to be reminded of what it looks like. Let's go ahead and stand and pray. And just ask that God would speak to us, that he would show us the picture of who we are in him. God, we are thankful. We are thankful for your word. God, that you have chosen to speak to us um, in such clear ways. And we pray that you would help us to see ourselves the way that you see us. God, that we would see ourselves as salt, adding flavor. That you would give us conversations that we can do that. That you would give us relationships that we can do that. Lord, that you would receive glory. That somehow we we would represent you in such a way. And I pray for those this morning who have received lies. That people have told them things that are just not true. Or they have believed something that is just not true. You are not an accident. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. You are not a screw up. You are redeemed and renewed. You are not without purpose. You have good works prepared and waiting for you. You are not alone. You are God's child. You're not unclean or dirty. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. You are not condemned. You are declared free from all charges. You are not far off. Nothing can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. God, I pray that you would make these truths just clear to us, that they would penetrate beyond our mind's ability to understand, that they would change our soul, that they would change who we are. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, We're going to move the first three rows of four.